Welcome to Creative Twist. I'm Sally Vanderpump and I'm going to be talking to people who've rediscovered their creativity after a break or taken a twist in their career paths and tried something new. Coming back to creativity made my life better. Let's find out how it changed my guests' lives too. Corrie Leger is a multi-passionate artist and productivity coach for creatives. As an actor and voiceover artist, she has appeared in many independent films, national commercials, animation, video games, audiobooks and more. She's also a filmmaker with several short films under her belt and multiple feature scripts in the works. As a coach, Corrie hosts Your Creative Life, a creative community designed to help multi-passionate actors take control of their dreams and build thriving creative careers. Join me and Corrie as we talk about how she switched from a biology major to acting and the various ways she has woven herself a creative life that uniquely reflects her many different passions. Combining creativity and organisational skills, Corrie has some top tips for creatives who struggle to prioritise. If you're procrastinating, juggling multiple projects or feeling the fear of taking a leap or sharing your work, this episode will help. So hi, Corrie. Thank you so much for joining me um, for Creative Twist. Yeah. It's lovely to to connect with you. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. Um, and I, I thought we could just leap straight in, really, because um, I know that as you've always been a creative person, but actually you did a biology major. Is that right? Do you want, yeah, do you want to tell me a bit about yeah. how that oh, <laughs> sure. began? Yeah, Um I've always been the kind of person that has this like right and left brain passions. Like I love things on both sides of the spectrum. So science and math, I was always very strong in in school. And then I've been acting and filmmaking since I could talk, basically. Um, And so, you know, in school, acting was always like growing up, acting was always my extracurricular activity. And it was the thing that I did both in school and out of school. But I wasn't sure if I wanted to pursue it professionally after school. So as, you know, as we're always taught to get like a, you know, a degree that is like realistic or whatever. Um, In college, I studied biology and I don't regret it at all because I love biology and I I find it absolutely fascinating. And my backup career was always kind of, um, or the career that I, think I would have done in like a different life, an alternate life, is um, being a genetic counselor. Oh, wow. That's so specific. I still find genetics. Yeah. I know. (laughs) I like up until my senior year of college, I was still considering it. I went to conferences for genetic counseling. And even like a few years ago when the pandemic hit, I thought about going back to school for genetic counseling just to like see oh wow I'm (laughs) really intrigued by that Um, already like just yeah and that sort of tie in with that on how that can impact you know because it's all sort of psychology related it's Mm -hmm. about what makes a person I guess so it's sort of got links into into acting as well but it's such a specific yeah other career (laughs) and I didn't even know I know right it's um I didn't even know that it was a career until I think I learned about it in AP Bio. And so my senior year of high school, I learned about it as a career. But I kind of just like put it on the back burner because I was maybe going to be pre-med. And like I got certified as an EMT. And then I realized that I was like, I don't want to do this because 
I was too emotionally invested and I didn't want to go into a career where I had to like put a wall up to other people's suffering in order to be able to do my job. Um, when I was doing my EMT training, I part of that was doing a ride along. So I was like in an ambulance for a day with whatever. And we had a couple calls and none of them were very dramatic, like they, but dramatic enough that an ambulance came and it was... I was, like, in tears because I was like, this is so horrible. Mm. Um, And everybody was fine, but it was just – it was a lot for me. And I was like, okay, I think I want to do this on TV, (laughs) like, with not real stakes. That's really interesting. Tell these stories rather than be part of the real world experience of that. But I – you know, going into college, I didn't really know if I wanted to pursue acting or not after school or just let it be – a hobby or or maybe even just, you know, let it be that thing that I did in high school and then it was done. And so I studied biology and theater as a minor and and education. So I got my I got certified as an elementary school teacher as well and I did my whole student teaching and a second grade classroom and um I just kind of covered my bases you definitely I definitely did. Yeah. <laughs> But it ties into that multi-passionate side of who I am. Like, I I didn't really do any of those things because I felt like I should. I I did them because I was interested in them Mm -hmm. and I loved all of them. And to be honest, I had enough theater credits to be a major, just not the right credits, if that makes sense. Like, I didn't take all of the prerequisite classes to be a major because I just wanted to take the classes that I wanted to take and I already had a major so I didn't need to be a theater major I was it kind of freed me up to take the classes that I wanted to take rather than the classes that the institution told me I should take Mm. or I had to take. So was that time um, with the ambulance training was that the kind of turning point for you Mm. do you think or was there another tipping point where you thought right I'm going to follow the acting path you would you would think it would have been but that was actually when I was in high school so I still went on to be a biology right okay um but I think that was a little bit of a tipping point for me where I realized that I didn't want to be Mm pre-med but there's so much more you can do with a biology degree so that's kind of when I was like oh like maybe genetic counseling would be a cool route to go um or just I mean there's so many different like options maybe teaching like I I didn't really know but I just knew mm-hmm. that I really liked bio and anatomy and physiology so I was like okay well this is my school is also known for its science programs it's part of why I chose to go to that institution mm-hmm. um so I was like okay well I'll do this and like maybe something will come out I would say the tipping point for me where I was like no I'm gonna pursue acting was um I gotta give credit to my my college boyfriend Um, who we are not together anymore. Uh, We haven't even talked in years. But he is an actor and a model, um, and he was two years older than me. So my sophomore year, he graduated and moved to L.A. And I saw him doing that, and I was like, oh, I, like, I could actually do this. Like, I could actually try to do this, and that's not an irresponsible thing to do. I would say that coupled with... My first year of of school, like my first year of college, I my first semester, I didn't take any theater classes, like no acting classes at all. I did a play, 
but my play was the first of the season to go. So by like early October, I was done with theater for the semester. And I was miserable. I was I was so miserable. I thought I hated school. I was like, I want to transfer. I don't belong here. Like, this is horrible. And then my second semester, I ended up taking a theater class that <laughs> that unbeknownst to me, was apparently the, like, senior theater class. Like, it was the one that all the seniors took. It was the super advanced (laughs) class. And here I was, like, little baby freshman taking my first theater class in school among all the, like, juniors and seniors. But they kind of, like, took me under their wing, and I found my community and, like, immediately loved my school and the program and everything. And I was like, oh, acting's really important Mm -hmm. to my mental health. Like, acting is super important yeah for me as a human being I'm so interested that you say that because I feel that really strongly myself that there have been times when say I've moved to a new place or something else is going on in my life and I've often felt like a creative community can kind of come to the rescue in a way can't it It like brings you in and it gives you a focus and a purpose and it just is I think that's one of the joyous things about it and sometimes that can be replicated with a, a film crew or with a theatre production or whatever mm-hmm. but I, I'm totally with you on the kind of community side of that and and so that's something actually that you're building into your life now as well isn't it the creative community side of things yeah so I've um I've really I like 100% agree with you that community for me at least and for a lot of people that I've worked with, has been everything. And so I've started um, Your Creative Life, which is a community for multi-passionate actors and storytellers to kind of have that sense of community, have that um, accountability, especially for those of, like, as creatives, a lot of times we are the ones that are moving our projects forward. We're the ones that care the most about it. And whether we like to admit it or not, if you're pursuing any kind of creative field as a career, it's a business as much as a creative mm-hmm. project. Um, but the business stuff can be obnoxious to deal with and like be left on the back burner and, and unfortunately be the thing that can hold you back sometimes because as much as it's not as much fun as all the creative stuff, it is important for driving your career forward. But if you're not doing that, then it can be kind of like the weight that is dragging your career to move slower than you want it to. And so with the community that I've built, I try to kind of balance all of those things, like having that creative community for collaborations on creative projects and um, opportunities for feedback and for sharing what you're excited about in the moment so we can kind of all help each other. And also giving those opportunities, I have like weekly co-working sessions where we get together and it's like, okay, like let's do the thing that we don't want to do, but we know is going to move our career forward. Like, you know, send the emails to the casting director or update your website or do all the things that you don't want to do and you'll procrastinate on forever. But hey, we're sitting here together for an hour or two hours, just do it. And then we're going to like come back together and we'll all, (laughs) we'll all have done the thing so that we can go out and go act or go work on a scene or go write the screenplay, do the thing that you mm, want to be that doing. That's such a brilliant idea. So you, it's kind of built-in accountability, isn't it? So you... Yeah. Uh, and I'm terrible for that, sort of putting the emailing casting directors and things to the back yeah. of my to-do list because it's not the it's not 
as much fun but if you can bring that in and make it more of an enjoyable task then that's that's brilliant great yeah and doing it with other people I think makes it feel less like less cringe you know you're just you've got the community and the support of other people and we're all like yeah I know this is not the fun part but like let's just do it together the kind of multi-passionate thing as well going back to that because I I know exactly what you mean with the I've always got loads of different ideas and it's sort of choosing which one to prioritize and following through with it do you have any sort of Mm -hmm. tips on that and how to how to prioritize and focus yeah you know it's different for everybody as far as figuring out what is the thing that you want to prioritize and focus on but one thing that I find um there's a couple things that I see people doing a lot and you you tapped in on it is that um trying to do too many things all at once so that you're making such tiny itty-bitty baby steps towards each of them that it feels like you're not making any progress at all. So if it feels like what I would say to anybody who's listening is if you feel like you fall into that camp where you have a million ideas but you're not really making the progress that you want to with any of them, choose one. Like if I, if I were to force you to sit down and look at your list and be like, you can only focus on one of these for a month. Like just a month. It's not even that long of a time when you think about it. For one month, if you could focus on one thing, what would that one thing be? And that might not be an obvious answer. So journal about it or, you know, ruminate on it for 24 hours or whatever you need to do to kind of whittle it down. Sometimes I even ask myself like for the projects that I'm like, oh, it could be this one or it could be this one or it could be this one. Well, what happens if I haven't made progress with this in a month? Is it the end of the world? Yes or no? And that will help kind of figure out which ones are actually a higher priority from from more of like a heart-centered place. Like which one feels the worst to put off? That's the one that you want to focus on. Just that project in the forefront. So once you've decided like what the project is that you want to focus on, if you can move either physically, digitally, or whatever combination of the two, all of the pieces, the elements, the ideas of the projects you aren't focusing on right now, because that's the important thing to remind yourself. It's not that you're not focusing on them. It's that you're not focusing on them right now. You will get back to them if you want to, Um, because it can be so scary to think like, oh, but this is such a good idea, or like, oh, but I'm really excited about that. It's like, that's fine. That is totally fine. You're going to do that next, or you're going to do that in two months. Like, it's if you think about how long you've already been procrastinating on it anyway because you've been trying to do too many things at once, you'll actually probably get it get to it faster and get more enjoyment out of it when it is actually the thing that you get to focus on rather than one of like 15 things that you're trying to focus on and then you're strapped and you're stressed and you never feel like you have enough time and blah, 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 blah. It can feel frustrating and overwhelming to have too many things going on at once but as as you know multi-passionate creatives they can be like but I can't choose just one and that's the beauty of it you don't have to choose just one for your life you just have to choose one now just focus on one for now and then you get to do the next one um and I know that's so much easier said than done so sometimes I'll I'll like give in a little bit and be like okay you can do two but like don't tell anybody I told you that you can do two but like that's it no more than two <laughs> I love but that. if I if I yeah um when when I do have somebody that is like cannot whittle down to one and it's like okay you can do two I try to make sure they're very different though like it's not like 
two screenplays that you're working on. It's like, okay, maybe you're working on a screenplay and like a knitting pattern or like an art piece, like something totally different so that you can, you know, sometimes you might not be in the mood to write or to work on a monologue or whatever. And so you have that other project that you're working on to balance out those times when you're feeling creative but not creative in the way that would help that project move forward. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you have that balance. But still I prioritize one if ever possible. Yes, yeah. (laughs) So what are you you prioritizing at the moment? How is that – how does that work in your own – practice yeah um I have a script that I'm working on right now um that I just so I just finished another project where I was getting you know um getting sides and everything ready for a big industry event that was this month um but now that I kind of have all of those things sorted out I am finally tacking tackling a project that's been in the back burner of my mind for a while but it's a it's a short script about well actually I'm not gonna say what it's about because I'm still figuring that out but it's based on um, I also narrate audiobooks and I narrated a memoir for an author that I've been working with Um, I had up until that point narrated a lot of her fictional work but she also wrote a memoir and so I narrated her memoir at the beginning of the pandemic and it it resonated so deeply with me um, because she She's an incredible, like, creative in her own right. She's, um, her name's Sarah Pishka, and she has um, cerebral palsy. She uses a communication device. She's, so she's nonverbal, but she uses a communication device, and she types all of her books with her head. And I'm, and she, first of all, you should read her memoir, anyone who's listening. It's called Inside My Outside, and it's about her experience of, like, she is, like, completely cognitively, aware and and like all there but obviously her she experiences the world in a very different way than somebody who is able-bodied might and her memoir was so insightful and so inspiring so me and her have been talking for a while about working on a some kind of film together that's amazing yeah so I'm I'm writing it and she's going to be we're still figuring out what her role in the process is, probably some kind of like creative producer. Um, we're still very much in the early stages of that, but I'm very excited about the, working on this project with her. So that's what I'm focusing on right now. That sounds fantastic. So going yeah. back to um, audiobooks and voiceover and acting, how did you kind of get started in that? And tell me about what happened when you had to take a, a different direction um, during, as so many of sure. us did during the pandemic. Um, so yeah, sort yeah. of how, initially, I guess, how you went from biology and that twist, and then <laughs> the other, twi- the other sort of later twist, more recent. Sure. So after I graduated school, by then I had decided that I wanted to pursue acting, um, at least, you know, to start, give it a try, see how it goes, as so many of us say we're going to do. Um, And so long story short, after a couple like random summer job stints to earn the money to be able to move to New York, I landed in New York. Um, And I, you know, I actually got pretty lucky because I got cast in a few plays like right off the bat when I moved to New York. And after a few really horrible experiences with non-union theater in New York, I decided that 
theater wasn't really the route that I wanted to focus on, but I really loved the on-camera work that I had been doing, which was new to me because I don't a lot of schools in the United States focus so heavily on theater, which I think is a detriment to young actors because that's just one very small part of an acting profession. There's voiceover, there's on-camera work, there's, you know, and even within all those things, there's commercial, which is different than television, which is different than indie film. Like, there's just so many different other ways to be an actor than theater. No, like, no shade on anybody who is a theater actor. I have so much respect. I just, I had so many bad experiences with such unprofessional theater productions in New York when I first moved there because I'm non-union that I was like, nah, I don't want to do this anymore. I like, <laughs> because if you get cast in a bad theater production, it's a really long commitment. If you get cast in a bad film, it's like a couple days. <laughs> so I was like, if I'm going to be toying with like maybe unprofessional people, the on-camera stuff is a, it's more forgiving. Mm. Um, but I also was finding that I, like my style of acting is very, um, it's more like subtextual and subdued and more in the eyes. And that just plays so much better on camera. So I was like, oh, this is like where mm -hmm. I belong is the on camera world. Tag team that with when one of the little stints I had before I moved to New York to kind of um, earn money in order to be able to move to New York was I lived in San Francisco for six weeks as like a fill in nanny. Um, the nanny I was replacing was on like a six week trip. So I went and nannied just for six weeks and I knew I was only going to be there for six weeks. And the only acting class that I could find in San Francisco that was like going to have the entire class happen while I was there was a voiceover class. And I was like, oh, well, I don't know anything about voiceover and I don't think I'm interested in it, but like, hey, why not? I don't want to not be doing something for the next six weeks. So let's try it. And I really liked it. I didn't, I wasn't sure if it was something I wanted to actively pursue, but, you know, I had that moment with the teacher where she was like, you remind me of a younger me. And I was like, oh my God, okay, great, like, cool. Um, and so I, I told my parents that I wanted a mic for my birthday and they got me, you know, just a, a basic mic. And I moved to New York with my mic and was like, okay, like, cool. I dabbled with some audiobook stuff that was like didn't pay anything. I was just trying it out and doing royalty share, which is, you know, you, you get a split of the royalties when the book sells, but the books I was doing didn't sell because they had like no marketing plan at all. So I probably made like $10 from each of those books total, but I wasn't really doing it for money. I was doing it to practice. And then I kind of fell away from it for a while because you know, life in New York is busy and I was, I had all my side jobs plus theater and on camera work. So I wasn't really focusing on on camera or on voiceover. Jump ahead like several years. My husband, well now husband, he was my boyfriend at the time, but we adopted a dog. Um, we adopted a dog who had horrible separation anxiety, like really terrible. And we lived in an apartment building in New York City. So we couldn't just let him like scream and cry through no. it. We had to train him. And it was a very long, slow process to train him to be comfortable like staying home alone. And I had a very flexible kind of like jo odd jobs here and there schedule, whereas my husband was working 
more of a traditional 10-hour because he works in post-production. So mm-hmm. it was like 10 to 12-hour days. Um, so the training fell to me, which meant that I had to find a way to make money from home mm-hmm. because for weeks I couldn't – I like basically couldn't leave. Like I literally hired a dog sitter to watch him when I had a standardized patient job for a day that I couldn't get out of. And I'm like, this is ridiculous. I am that person that is hiring a babysitter for my dog. But like, yes, we could have gotten evicted if we didn't. Oh, it's the it's, it's like crazy the things that we do. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, okay, well, I could do voiceover from home. So let's pull that mic back out and like let's see what I can do, and. I got my demo up really fast. Like, I recorded my demo from home. I, I did everything myself. I just was like, let's just do something, get something out there. And I booked a job really – I booked work really fast. And then um, also got kind of lucky is within a couple months of that, my, um, my on-camera agent, that agency opened a new voiceover department that they hadn't had before – and I had just booked a voiceover job that I had run through my on-camera agent, had her negotiate the contract for me. So I got grandfathered in to their new department right away, and I've, I've been oh, with them ever brilliant. since. Um, yeah, so I got – it was like a combination of, you know, planning and strategy and mm-hmm. luck that got me into the voiceover world. And so since then, I, I do all different kinds of voiceover. I audiobooks, um, animation, commercial, and like – educational instructions internal like internal training mm-hmm. that kind of stuff um oh video games oh, do you? too yes. um yeah which is really fun i would say my favorites are video games and, and animation as i think a lot of actors would say because yes, that's yeah. the, that's the most acting e voiceover work but just like commercial work is still acting all the others are still yeah, acting sure. too so so this was all before that was pre kind of pandemic and you yep. were already set yep. up for all of that. But then tell me what happened. You had a another change <laughs> at that point, didn't you? Yes. Yeah. So the pandemic hit, um, as we all know, in 2020. And I was still in New York City at the time. Um, me and my husband were newlyweds. We were still living in a 500-square-foot apartment with our dog and <laughs> the two of us. And... Um, one week after lockdown started, I found out that I was pregnant, which was very exciting because we had, like, we were trying, although <laughs> we got pregnant very fast, which we're very lucky for, but it was like, oh, this is happening, <laughs> like, and we didn't know that the pandemic was going yeah. to happen and shut down the world when we started trying. Um, so I think as as a lot of people did, um, obviously all on camera work and theater work immediately stopped. And even voiceover took a hit because, you know, a fair amount of voiceover work still requires production to happen on set that you're then doing a voiceover for. So even though voiceover didn't take quite as big of a hit as everything else, it still took a hit. And up until that point, we were always recording in studio, and now the studios were shut down. So it was like everybody was scrambling to figure out how to keep doing these things. And 
income streams, you know, a, a lot of my other side jobs crashed and burned too. And it was like panic time and add in pregnancy hormones and all of that fun stuff. And it was like, okay, like this is scary. So I ended up taking a nine to five job for the first time in my adult life. I had always been freelance, even with all my side jobs and all of the other ways that I supported myself through my acting career. It had always been, I, I, I didn't have bosses. I, I don't like having a boss. I don't like having somebody telling me when I can and cannot take days off. I had always been my own boss. But I panicked and I got a job. And the irony is I kind of made a job for myself. It was with a company that I was already working with in, in a freelancer capacity. But they were a, a young company and they needed some help building their systems and I'm a very organized person and I was like, oh, I can do this for you. So I kind of started just taking on these jobs as the freelancer and then they offered me a full-time job. And I, I really struggled with whether or not. still in New York at this point. So I was, it was like in transition. I was freelancing with them in New York and then I was just, so we moved in June of 2020 to the Boston area because for a lot of reasons, um, it's hard to pay New York rent when you're not getting any of the perks of New York. Um, but also, we were um, Boston, the Boston area is right in between my my family and my husband's family, so we're kind of like equidistant between the two. And with the baby coming, we're like we're still near a city. It's still easy for us to get to New York, but now we're closer to family too. Um, and we have more space and a yard for our dog. And if lockdown happened again, at least now we would have a, a backyard to like get outside in um, mm -hmm. and not have to go down 30, 32 flights of stairs in order to get outside. <laughs> so, wow. um, so yeah, so it was right after we had moved to the Boston area that, um, that I took on the full-time work. And it was on paper the perfect job for me. Like everyone said it because it was a combination of teaching, biology, and acting. The three things I studied in school. And I was like, okay, great. Like this is this is awesome. This is so perfect for me. And I tried to convince myself that that was true for a very, very long time. I mean, very, very long time. I was only there for a year, but it felt, <laughs> it, long. It felt like a long time. It felt like a very long time. Yeah. Um, and the irony is I was on maternity leave for, you know, a part of that year. So I didn't even work a full 12 months in in that role. I was with the company for more than 12 months. But in that capacity, I, I worked on a calendar year for about a, a, a year, but had a maternity leave in the middle of that. But I just, I realized that I was trying to force myself to live a stable job, like stable life. And every, like so many other people in my life were like, this is great for you. And I was like, yeah, it is. You're right. But I knew it wasn't like deep down in my heart. It just never felt, it didn't feel as authentic as I had hoped that it would um, it never felt as satisfying or as as rewarding as the creative work that I had always been doing or even the um, coaching work that I was doing, which is kind of like creative adjacent. Um, it just never felt right. 
even though the work I was doing was super important and I, I fully believe in the cause that this company was like fighting to help, they were very focused on like women's health and, and training, um, like training medical staff and others to be more aware of women's health and all of that. And so part of that, the acting piece of that was I was helping manage their standardized patient program, which is um, for those that don't know what standardized patient work is, it's usually healthcare providers work with actors who are pretending to be patients to work on their communication skills and and all of the pieces that go into working with a patient in a empathetic and, and caring way. Um, and I had been doing standardized patient work for, for hospitals in New York for a long time, and I loved it. I thought it was the best acting exercises ever because it's all improv-based. You, you have to just respond to what yes. the provider is giving you. You have a script, and so you know, you're, you know you have to memorize your patient history usually very quickly. So it's a good memorization habit, um, practice, and it's all improv, so it's all about, like, reacting mm. to what the other person is giving you. So it's a, like, highly recommend for any actor who's looking yes, for a side yeah. job. Standardized patient work yeah, was so wonderful. Yeah, medical play, I think it's usually called here. Perfect. Yeah. I think it is. It's such a Same great ac- acting exercise because it's got to be so natural, hasn't it, as well? Mm-hmm. I remember one time I, like, totally gave the wrong information. Like, I just I, – I think they – the character's father was supposed to have high cholesterol, but I said they had high blood pressure or something like the, the wrong thing. And I was like, oh, no, I mean, uh, and you try to like <laughs> play it off as like a normal person who got information wrong. And it's like, well, that was yeah, giving them a red herring that. and they're off doing, <laughs> diagnosing know, a different so thing. Bad. <laughs> right. But um, but yeah, it was. I don't regret taking that job because it taught me that I don't fit in that world. I don't fit in that nine to five like structure. And again, it was like it wasn't even a real nine to five. I still got to make my own hours and it was very flexible. Like it literally was on paper the perfect job for me, for Mm. me as a mom, for me as an actor, like they knew I was an actor and if I booked something, it would have been fine. But just for whatever reason, it felt like I was settling mm. and it took – it like drained my creative energy because it stressed me out so much and I was so like – there was a lot of drama um, within, you know, as I think there are with a lot of like more corporate type jobs. There was just a lot of like internal drama that was just like bleeding my creativity and I – I like stopped taking acting classes and I was so focused on that. And I was like, eventually I kind of had a little like, you know, reflection moment with myself. And I was like, this is not working for me. And it's not because I'm lazy or like unmotivated. It's the opposite. It's that I'm so driven. But right now my drive is focused on the wrong thing. And it's focused on something that's not making me happy. Mm. And that's not a good example to set for my son. I want him to see his parents doing the things they're passionate about and working hard for the things that bring them joy, not Mm. the things that are, like, mundane and, you know, soul-crushing. I think that's so, yeah, such an interesting way to look at it. Yeah, going back to motherhood and the sort of juggling aspect of it, how are you managing 
Because it is, it's a lot, isn't yeah. it? It's the, you've always got so many things going on and then you've also got, um, you know, yeah. you're juggling your career with it as well. So how, how do you manage all, the, all those <laughs> balls in the air? Yeah, it's definitely a lot of balls in the air. That's a great way to say it. Um, it's a constant work in progress. You know, I feel like we find our, and I say we because my husband also works from home and is also working in the entertainment industry. So it is a lot of like collaborative parenting um, as far as figuring out like how we manage our work with childcare and being present parents, things that are really important to us. So you know, it's, I feel like we'll find our groove and it'll work great and then something will change, whether it's our, our son's nap schedule or we had um, a part-time nanny for a little while, but she's a college student, so when the semester ended, now she's not here anymore. And then, <laughs> especially in the last two months, we had three back-to-back stomach bugs followed by all of us getting COVID. Oh, wow. So no child care for like no external child care for the last like almost two months so it's been I think it's about having it be a constant conversation Mm. between me and my husband you know finding those pockets of time that we can give each other to really be focused within our own creative works um I find that when I have less time I'm actually more efficient um and I don't second guess mm-hmm. myself as much because I don't have the time to. It's like it doesn't have to be perfect. It just has to be good enough. And let's 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 do mm-hmm. it. Let's move forward and let's keep making progress because he's going to be asleep for ninety minutes, and that's what I've got today. So let's let's figure this out. Um, so it's about honoring. I found that for me, honoring my my creative windows and those little blocks of time that I can work on my work on my craft mm. um, or crafts really plural has has been the key and then on top of that um, having like little mini creative routines for myself because in the past I could write when I was feeling inspired to write and it's like oh I'm not feeling inspired to write right now that's okay I'll write later today or, or I'll do that. I'll do that audition later or I'll, I have all this time to memorize. I'm going to, you know, do a deep dive and whatever. I don't have as much time anymore to like give myself the flexibility to keep pushing things to when I feel like I want to or when I'm feeling like I am inspired right now, this is what I'm going to do it. I wasn't feeling inspired earlier, so I didn't do it then. I don't have as much of that flexibility anymore. So what I've found is, you know, tiny little routines for myself, whether it's for me going to coffee shops to write is like, it's a a great trigger for me that I almost immediately am like in the writing mood just because that atmosphere like triggers it for me Um, or lighting a candle or, you know, I have a lot of markers of different colors and like just doing a quick doodle. I also do morning pages every day, which is like three pages of free writing. I love, um, yeah, I love that. And Artist Way was yes. mentioned numerous times in the last uh, season. <laughs> I need to finish it yes. though. In fact, Corrie, maybe I should join your group because you do you run yes. a, an Artist Way course, don't you? We do. 
Yes. So I um, like periodically within the community, we'll do the artist way together. Yeah, we did one um, in January. So I think I think it's probably going to be like an annual thing, but also it's dependent on who's interested at the time. Um, but yes, I did the artist way. Actually, that's that was part of the reason I quit my job <laughs> because I did the artist way. And in um, I think it's I forget which week, but it's an early week, like three or four maybe, where they talk about rage and rage actually being like a signal for you that like it's kind of like a, a red light that something needs your attention in your life. And I was feeling so much rage around my job. I was like, oh, <laughs> like this is the thing. Um, and I think I literally quit my job like the next oh, week. Wow. Not that I'm encouraging no. anyone to impulsively quit their job, but it wasn't impulsive for me. I had been thinking about it for months, and that was just kind of the last final push that I needed where I was like, yeah, no, this is the mm-hmm. right thing for me to do. And I have not ever regretted quitting that job. Like you It was 100% the right that. choice. No. Never looked and back. And so is that when no. coaching came to the fore, really? Had you already started yeah, coaching? Um, I had been kind of casually coaching off and on. One of my main side jobs um, has always been tutoring, which is coaching, just younger (laughs) and different subjects. Um, But I had been casually, like, creatively coaching various um, people. I hadn't really been marketing it. Just people had asked. Mm. And I'd be like, oh, I, I do that. Like, I help people with that. Um, but yes, that was when I really kind of leaned into coaching more and was like, this is where I'm going to put more of my additional energy mm. when it's not being focused on my own creative work. Um, this is kind of like my other, my other passion is helping people live that creative life of their and own. I love how all well. of these, although it's sort of multi-passionate, everything does kind of link together in a beautiful way way doesn't it that's because again the coaching it contains within it sort of psychology and your organizational Mm -hmm. skills and you know there's such a a good sort of unity there I think yeah so I'm just thinking about from a coaching perspective for people listening if someone was thinking you know that they're on the cusp of taking some kind of creative risk but they're they're frightened mm-hmm. for whatever reason or they, you know, um, are procrastinating. What would be your kind of mm-hmm. top, like, your your or your <laughs> first kind of coaching prompt, I guess? Yeah. Well, fear is such a, a huge obstacle for creative ventures, right? Because it is so vulnerable and so scary to put yourself out there in, in whatever capacity you're presenting yourself whether it's acting or sharing a story even like even fiction it's still a part of your soul right it's not it can be terrifying to face that rejection quote-unquote I think a lot of times we think about the possibility of rejection or judgment or shame or all of these words that are really just subsets of fear subsets of how society could interpret what it is you're putting out there and that can hold us back and I totally understand why it holds people back because it is a scary thing to do but flipping that on its head what happens if you don't what happens if you don't put your work out there 
how would that make you feel? Because if it's fine, if you're like, oh, it doesn't matter, then, you know, then it can just be for you if you want it to be just for you. And there's nothing wrong with doing creative work just for you if that's kind of the path that you choose for yourself. If if just the process of creating is all that you want and all that you need, then you don't have to share it with the world. But that means the world doesn't get to experience the beauty of the work that you're doing. You're robbing other people of the opportunity to benefit and and find joy or community or validation in your work. So if I have a client that is like scared of moving forward, and a lot of times they'll never say they're scared. It's like, oh, it's not ready yet. It's not perfect. It's not perfectionism is like the biggest signal for fear. Why... Why isn't it good enough though? Like what is it that you'll get from tinkering with it for another two months, three months, four months, year, three years? Is that worth it? Or is it time to let it go and put it out there and let it be what it is and move forward? There's never been any perfect artistic project ever. Like there is nothing that is perfect out there in the world. And yet people love them. People, like, people have been doing this for so long where they just, they put their stuff out there as an imperfect masterpiece or an imperfect, like, flop. It's okay for things to flop, too. And if you think back to, like, so many of the artists that came before us, especially, you know, painters are are especially prevalent, prevalent in this category, a lot of them weren't famous until after they died. But they kept painting anyway, and they kept pursuing their passion anyway. Sometimes that's, that sh- is the focus. It's not so much about what you can get out of your project, the financial gain or the, you know, the career gain. This is going to make or break me. When we put that much pressure on our creative projects, that's when it can be so hard to release them because it's not it never feels like it's quite ready to live up to that expectation, that standard. But if it's just about releasing it for the sake of releasing it so that you can move on to the next one, maybe it will, maybe it won't. Maybe this will make or break your career. Maybe it won't, but that's okay because you're going to move At on the to moment, the next At the moment, we're in thing. a kind of culture of monetizing everything. You know, you've got to monetize everything and yeah. actually that can put an ad- additional layer of um, pressure on can't it but as you say sometimes it can be just just for the joy you know and and I know that you said before as well that um it's important to have hobbies that are not that are not about uh, making money out of your creativity necessarily but something that you just purely enjoy (laughs) right and yeah no I think that's the hobby hobbies are so important too I think that's a really good point so we are in this world of like monetize, 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 and that can ruin hobbies. You know, there is a difference between something that is for you just like not just. I don't even want to say just something that for you is a hobby that brings you joy and doesn't need to live in the world of also providing for you. And then there's the flip side of like the career that you're choosing. And there's nothing wrong with having creative pursuits that are your career. 
But I love, um, I always bring this up and I need to just memorize the quote because I know I'm going to paraphrase here. But Elizabeth Gilbert talks about how she, um, who's the author of Big Magic and Eat, Pray, Love. Um, she talks about how she made a promise that she would always provide for herself and for her creativity. She never expected. Like, she never expected creativity to provide for her. Um, And I just love that because it keeps it so pure. Not that you can't make money from your creativity eventually, or maybe you even are now. I mean, I make money from my creativity to an extent. But allowing, like, knowing that you aren't dependent on creativity to provide for you so that it lets it stay playful. It lets it stay fun and joyful. Find that when you put all that pressure on it to be your, like, to be your sole source of income, that's when things dry up because it gets scary and stressful and then you're like, I haven't made any money this month, like, and then the desperation comes and the the jitters and and that's never conducive to creative work. And and I find that the opposite is true as well. When you decide, okay, I'm going to do this creative project and this is for fun, sometimes the work comes in as well because because maybe because you're putting out that energy of enjoyment and enthusiasm Mm -hmm. and then you get more. I don't know. I mean, that's... (laughs) No, it's so true. I've seen that happen too. It's like when... I think it is that like kind of two sides of the same coin. It's that like desperation doesn't work with creativity. And so whenever you find a way to remove that desperation, whether you, you know, it's you say it's just for play or you say I'm not going to let this be my income source or or whatever, however it works for you. Um, everybody is different. And I strongly believe that every what works for one person doesn't work for someone else. And um but however, you know, when we find the way that works for you, then it's it's so true. That's when things mm. come into you. And that's where things like the universe is like, oh, you're ready to play? Here are all these opportunities to play. And you're like, oh, but they have money with them too. <laughs> cool. <Yeah>. Great. Great. <laughs> Ultimately, it's just about like living the life, right, that, that works for you. And that's different for everyone. But it's about finding a way to make sure that the way that you have built your life is conducive to all of the pieces of who you are as a human. Because I find, I hear people say a lot like work-life balance or like, you know, finding like this is what I do for family and this is what I do for my job. And, and we define ourselves in all of these different ways. But you're one person. Like you are a single human being. And so if your work life doesn't allow you to have the home life or the adventure life or work with the rest of the life that you want to build for yourself, then something needs to give because you are a single human being. And so you can't have like a work goal and a family goal that are incompatible with each other. There needs to be harmony there. They need to work together in a single life. And so that's been something, a journey that I've been working on with for myself and, and really been encouraging my clients to work on too. Because one thing for me that I had been struggling with for a very long time was um, 
thinking that my my acting dreams needed to be series regular on like a network television show because that's what everybody told me was success as an actor. But that comes with a lifestyle that didn't work with the family lifestyle that I wanted to have for myself. Like I wanted to be able to go to my kids' soccer games in the afternoon and and I always had trouble meshing those two realities together until I realized that I could define what success was for me and I could like build the, the life and the career that I wanted that worked together for me and for my family. Um, and there is no like ev- what that looks like for everyone is different. I know lots of people who really truly do want to be a series regular on a network TV show and that's great. Like all the more power to you. For me personally, when I realized for myself that that wasn't what I wanted, at least not right now, not while I have, you know, a young child, um, it was Mm. liberating. Because I was like, oh, I can define what I want. I don't have to make my definition of what I want to be the thing that everybody says is quote unquote Mm. success. Like I am allowed to define what success is for me in my life and I don't have to justify it I think it to there's something else. quite brave about that letting go of that idea of what success is though in a way isn't it because because at least that is a structure that you're trying to conform to but mm-hmm. actually you're just putting you're blowing up that structure and saying I'm going to make my own which is really like you say it's a liberating thing and it looks really looks like that's working for you Corey it's great I just you mentioned Elizabeth Gilbert and Big Magic. I mm-hmm. wondered if there are any other books or people that particularly inspire you or any last tips that you would give creative twist listeners. Sure. Um so we talked about The Artist's Way. I love The Artist's Way and um it's by Julia Cameron. It's, for those that don't know, I'm sh- I'm sure if you've been listening, you've heard it on the podcast before, but it's like a 12-week creative reset almost um, for any type of creative. And I used the artist, I've done the artist way four times now, all the way through at various stages of my life. And I get something new out of it every time. It's this wonderful like reconnection to creativity and and why I do what I do and why I love what I love. Um, The War on Art by um, Stephen Pressfield is great. Uh, I love that one. I'm actually, I'm doing a re-listen to all of the books that are inspiring to me on creativity right now. That's the next one I'm listening to. I just finished Big Magic and then I restarted it because I was like, I love this book so much. So I'm on my second listen of Big Magic in like three weeks. Um, And then I'm gonna do the War of Art again. Um, those would be my top three Great. on creativity. Thank you, because I've actually, um, I've got a book list, so I will put those on, on the book oh, list. Um, perfect. That's brilliant. Thank you. Thank you so much, Corey. It's been an absolute joy to speak to you. And um, if listeners want to get in touch, where can they, where can they find you? Sure. Um, I'm most active on Instagram at creatingwithcorey, and Corey is spelled C-O-R-R-I-E. Um, you can also find, um, like email me, I'm Corey at CoreyLeger.com, um, C-O-R-R-I-E-L-E-G-G-E. Um, and that's my website too, CoreyLeger.com. 
But yeah, feel free to reach out anytime. Um, I love hearing from people. And if anybody has any questions um, or wants to hear more about the community that I run or um, private coaching, feel free to just shoot me an email or DM me on Instagram. Either way, I'll I'll get back to you really fast. Great. That's lovely. Thank you so much for joining me. And um, I feel Thank inspired you. now. I'm going to go and order some books, I think. <laughs> thank you so much well thank you so much for having me it's been a pleasure real pleasure thank you thanks for listening to Creative Twist show notes and resources can be found on my website sallyvanderpump.com thanks to Rosie Kernahan for the podcast photo to Vicky Arledge for composing the music to Jen at Studio 2711 for the artwork and to Tina Cooney for the branding I'd love to work with you on a creative project. If you'd like to book me for voiceover or talk about an acting project, please contact me via my website. And if you'd like to meditate with me, you can find me on SoundCloud or Insight Timer.